0: Welcome to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. We're in the home of Eric and Liz McDonald in Arizona doing a series of podcasts on a bright, Saturday, sunny January day in Arizona, and we're with the Phillips family. We have Monica Phillips, her transgender son Landon, and dad's here, James Phillips. So there'll be three guests on the podcast. This is an active LDS family. Landon served a mission, um, now attends a BYU ward. Monica is a Relief Society teacher, uh, YSA ward. Um, Landon, um, Monica is a Relief Society teacher. Landon has a calling in it, in his YSA ward um, as the pianist, and James is a primary teacher in his ward. This is a family that have five children, age 13 to 24, just a wonderful LDS family. Um, that has a transgender son. And so this is a story of of walking the road to having a transgender son. And I'm, I'm really grateful for this family. Monica is a contributor to the book that's coming out this fall and has provided some wonderful content um, from a parent's perspective of having an LGBTQ child. And I just sense this family's been on their knees and going to the temple in prayer to know how to navigate this road. And um, so that's... That's kind of our introduction. Landon, will you just um, share with our listeners your mission, where you serve? Because I want to make sure to say that right.
1: Yeah. So I serve my mission in the Madagascar-Antananarivo mission in the Reunion Mission region. Uh, So that means I never actually saw Madagascar. I just served on the islands off the coast, French speaking.
0: That's great. And um, you served as a sister missionary, just so our listeners understand.
1: Yeah, that's correct.
0: And we'll talk about that journey in our podcast. But thank you for your service, how, Monica. How many of your kids have served missions? Is Landon the first one, or of?
2: Have... Uh, no, uh, two of our kids have served missions. We have an older son who's twenty-four, and he served in uh, the Utah Ogden mission.
0: Uh huh. That's great. Um, talk. Let's talk about coming out. Um, just tell us your journey with gender dysphoria, or any um, vocabulary used to describe your experience, Landon.
1: I. Came out to myself over a very long period of time. Um, It took me longer to figure out than it probably should have. And now looking back, I see all these signs that like, oh, why didn't I realize it? Why didn't I realize when I was listening to three hours of, I don't know if you're trans videos every day. Um, But I was in a lot of denial and unconscious denial. I didn't want to think about it. It terrified me. Um, And I was at BYU at the time that I was really starting to consider all of these things. Um, which is a scary place to be discovering your sexuality and your gender identity. Um, so it took me quite a while, but the more I thought about it, the more and more I kind of sank into this hole of realizing like, okay, this is real, like this is happening, and I have no idea what to do with this information. And so um, it was after my first semester at BYU and after I put my mission papers in that I finally realized like all of this discomfort I had been feeling all of the years of not feeling quite right not feeling like I fit in having this discomfort that I didn't have words to explain I finally had the vocabulary for and I was able to say I have gender dysphoria I'm transgender and I'm gonna get my mission call in a week (laughs) so it was pretty a scary process but coming out of the end of it and understanding who I was and finally having words for that discomfort made me realize that I had things that I needed to do that were scary, but I also knew what I needed to do, which was really nice. I had answers.
0: You're very brave. Explain to our listeners, just try to, and I'm sure you've had hundreds of conversations like this, Landon, just explain to a listener that's hearing a transgender Latter-day Saint for the first time, just explain what it is like to be transgender.
1: So being transgender at a very fundamental level means having gender dysphoria. So for me, that meant looking in the mirror for hours and squinting and trying to imagine like, what if I wasn't in this body or feeling like I wanted to crawl out of my own skin and I couldn't. I spent a lot of time face down, a lot of crises about realizing like, oh my gosh, I'm never going to have facial hair. I'm never going to Live the way that I want to live. I'm never, everyone's always going to call me she, her. And which at the time I didn't realize why that upset me so much before I understood what transgender was. But um, it just feels like this unsettling feeling of almost like I'm wearing like a bodysuit that isn't who I am, which is uncomfortable in and of itself. And then when other people look at me, I'm aware that they're only seeing the bodysuit and they're not seeing who I am underneath which can be really difficult and isolating and alienating. Um, And so coming out and being my authentic self is the first time that I've been free from that suit, able to unzip it and crawl out of it, Um, which is like just being trans in general. And then being trans in the church, like on top of that is a whole other level of discomfort and now I don't have just the physical aspect of trying to figure out who I am, but I also have the spiritual on top of it.
0: Good job. That's as fine a description as anybody's shared with me. Thank you. And this is a podcast, as you'll, one of the goals that the Phillips really want to share is really positive things they've had with leaders and um, just an overall wonderful story of wonderful leader support generally. and, And my feeling is a great job as a family navigating this. Talk about when did you come out to your parents?
1: I came out when I finished my first year at BYU, and I was in this long gap of waiting to go on my mission. And the first time I ever had a discussion about sexuality or gender or anything was we. my parents came to pick me up and drive my stuff back home from Utah. We were staying at my cousin's house in Salt Lake, and I just was so restless that whole time that I was with my parents because it was the first time I was with them in person since realizing that my gender identity and my sexuality weren't the norm. And so I kept trying to think of when to tell them, how to tell them. I couldn't sleep. I was so torn up about it. And so my mom and I were sitting in the room that we were staying at. And so I started explaining like, so I'm not super interested in men. (laughs) I was like, okay, what does that mean? Like, what do we have to do to fix that? Um, And so that was kind of the beginning was talking about me being unsure about my sexuality. And then within the next couple of months after that, we started talking more and more. And then I started saying, okay, so I don't necessarily feel like a girl. And I was so hesitant about how to say it because I was scared of it myself still. And then I was scared of how they were going to react. And I was just scared of everything and what this meant for my future. So it took a while, but I was able to talk about all of it and get it all off my chest before leaving, which made deciding to leave hard because I finally laid it all out on the table. Um, but yeah, they were a lot more like supportive and good about it than I thought they were going to be. So that helped.
0: <laughs> Monica and James, let's hear um, just your thoughts on realizing You're having, you're having this conversation that I would guess no parents prepared for.
2: Definitely wasn't prepared for it. Um, But I, I have a hard time talking about how I responded to Landon without going back and um, kind of establishing what kind of a person Landon has always been um, as a child and um, as my child. And Landon has uh, always been very solid in the gospel he has never had a rebellious type of spirit. Um, he's we've, we've had a very close family relationship um, with Landon as well as our other kids. And Lennon was the type of kid that um, just really highly respected. I think I could speak for his youth leaders, for his seminary teachers, for our um, ward and stake leaders in saying that um, Lennon was Probably one of the most highly respected youth in our stake, and Lennon had a history um, in the Orange County stake in California for since the time he was born, and so he was very um, well known um, because we've been there for so long. And so, when Lennon came out, um, of course, I at first said all the wrong things because uh, you have to understand when somebody, when your child comes out to you, they've had time to process and think this through for quite a long time, typically, before they come out to parents. And then we have two seconds to know how to respond. And of course, I didn't probably didn't say all the right things. My initial reaction was, um, how can I help fix this? Like, um, you know, maybe it's a hormone imbalance, maybe this, maybe that. And Lennon is really great about shutting me down on those things <laughs> when, um, when he knows that's not uh, accurate. But um, so I guess I, I never... I never once questioned that this was a rebellious act from Landon. And, and so, um, I knew right away that this wasn't something Landon was choosing. Um, but then that flew in the, kind of in the face of all the thoughts, um, that I had had on what it means to be transgender, even though I hadn't thought about it that much. Um, I, I thought of it as, uh, something people chose. That that is something that happens to people who have had a dysfunctional family life, who have maybe been abused either um, sexually or emotionally, Uh, and those things weren't the case in our family, and so it it was very I was very conflicted with that, but it made me um, really stop and and it really made me question where Satan is in this whole um, in this whole LGBT thing (laughs) because. I, I had always kind of the messages we receive is that Satan causes Satan's deceiving our LGBT brothers and sisters into, um, into, into same sex attraction or into, you know, being transgender. And so I, I really had to examine that. What is his role in this? Because it is definitely, he, he wasn't in, he wasn't in the room with us that night and he wasn't, you know, he just wasn't there. And, um, and so I had cause to, to really think about that. And what I've discovered is that he doesn't cause gender dysphoria any more than he causes depression. Um, he's just there though, so that when we're in our darkest moments, he can tell you that, uh, you're, you're worthless. Um, you don't have a place in the church of Jesus Christ or in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, that's where I think he was at that time. And so uh, kind of took it upon myself to make sure that we provided, hopefully, a, a family support that could help Landon to know that that wasn't the case.
0: One of the statements you wrote for um, the book that's coming out, I'll just read that, because it's, and I've been reading it, in I spoke at a church fireside last Sunday night and shared this quote. Um, we don't need to count on, we don't need to count the LGBTQ population to know we are in the last days. Um, there is evil around us for sure, and Satan is having a heyday. I don't believe his work has been to deceive people into being LGBTQ. instead he takes these precious children of God and tells them they are worthless. He tells them there's no place for them in God's plan. He tells them God no longer loves them. He resides in their shame. He also resides in our fears, knowing that our fears will hinder our ability to truly love. His goal is to tear families apart and drive people away from the gospel of Jesus Christ. He is succeeding, not because this group has been deceived and are now gay trans. He is succeeding because he is keeping us from coming together as the body of Christ and loving with pure Christ-like love. We could do better, help heal these members who are hurting and feel there is no place with them. Every member is vital. Without them, we cannot function as a church to its fullest potential. The answer to overcoming Satan um, and strengthening families and is to bring people unto Christ is to love. I love that statement, and um, it's been a very helpful statement for me, and it seems to reflect the very first reaction you had when Landon came out is you recognize this is not—you just felt his wonderful spirit and and that he was being honest with you and not deceived. James, dad, give us some thoughts on Landon coming out.
3: There's, I don't know if it was inspiration or if it was pure chance that as Landon came out of her first year of school and at at that point, the identification was, um, I am asexual. And Landon, I don't know if you said that to soften the blow or if you were still in the process of self-discovery but here um it kind of allowed me as a as a dad to go into almost denial I go okay we've got an 18-month mission coming up I can figure out what's going to happen and it gave me a little bit of a buffer which is good so I could stick my foot in my mouth a few times um but really to me it was after the mission When Landon came back and knew that he was um, transgender, that he experienced mentally this life as as a man. And that's who his identity, who this person that he saw in the mirror, was very different than who I had perceived for the last 20 years. And so despite the 18 months of denial, Here was a process that involved a little bit of mourning because here was uh, my second child that, who I knew for 20 years was, there was a change taking place. And um, a parent goes through a mourning process that you're losing these dreams and these aspirations, these hopes. Not at all to say that we didn't get amazing blessings in return. Um, the son that we were given had all the potential, the talents, the testimony of the person I'd known my whole life, but there is a change there. Um, there's, there's a process in the the coming out. The individual doesn't come out. The whole family comes out um, and there's, A little bit of fear that goes along with that. But we were amazingly blessed um, with Landon's example and courage. And I I think we, again, jumping ahead to post-mission, when all this occurred, I watched the whole stake be transformed by Landon's courage in coming out and saying, this is who I am. Um, I'd have... Fathers come to me and tearfully express their appreciation. Um, Landon was held on a pedestal, and I think to some extent, um, to a great extent, my wife was on a pedestal in that state. And some of these fathers would claim that our whole family was. And for them to see this take place in a family that was held in such high regard, it changed their view. Um, There wasn't a judgment that went along with it. It was pure compassion, pure love, and what a blessing um, that we could experience that. Uh, I, I, I think of this, and I know I made a lot of mistakes along the way, but throughout the entire process, I, I guess I have to acknowledge the hand of the Lord that He, through some tender mercy, dispelled all of those notions and half-truths and falsehoods that I hid behind when I withheld my love from this segment of our brothers and sisters, so that once those barriers were torn down, suddenly I felt so much closer to the Savior. I began to understand so much more of how perfect His love is, and there was nothing I would do to ever give up who I have become through this journey, it's, it's been a humbling, tear-filled process. But in that process, there's been great quantities of tears of joy. Um, I guess that there, there isn't a lot of resources for us to look to. But but as you go through this process, one of the biggest things that help, helped me was... To find people that had experienced similar things and um, draw from their strength. and i'll I'll let Landon continue his story as he talks about this, and we'll we'll address some of the places we turn to for strength as well.
0: Um, this is just a beautiful family love story. I love hearing the parents um, talk about this road because there's a lot of parents that need parents like the Phillips that are walking this road to give them perspective on how to do this. So you go on this mission. Talk about, did you talk about this with your mission present?
1: Yeah, I did. Um, Not really until closer to the end of my mission. It's something that I held inside before leaving, um, when I was getting everything prepared to go. Um, But I had already already come out to myself. I already knew, okay, I am transgender. This is the reality of what's happening I don't have very many options or at the time I didn't think I did. So I thought I can either continue and go on my mission and Heavenly Father will cure me of this or I can leave the church and transition or I can end my life. And at the time I really, really thought those are my only three options. So when I went on my mission, I didn't talk about it because I was hoping that it was going to go away. I was hoping that I was going to study, I was going to pray, I was going to serve. And everything was going to work out okay, which I feel like a lot of people say. And at this point, we should all know that's not a thing. But I was in denial. I was really hoping I didn't want to have to leave my faith. I didn't want to end my life. So that was what I was banking on. But the farther I got in my mission, the harder and harder things became. Uh, And I did end up coming home early. I came home two transfers early, so three months. Um, And a lot of people who know me I think, assume that it's because of this whole gender experience. It really isn't. Um, I had untreated bipolar disorder. There was a lot of other traumatic things happening that were unrelated. So that isn't why I ended up coming home and needing that medical care. But when I was sitting down with my admission president a lot more to talk about those things that I was feeling, that's when the doors were open to talk about gender, to talk about sexuality, to talk about those other things that were on my mind because that scared me about going home. I was afraid to go home because I didn't know what that was going to look like. So we got talking about it and he was a really awesome listener. We had an interview that went on for a suspiciously long time. My companions, I had two companions at the time and they were so afraid that I was like writing them out for stuff. Um, But we just talked and talked and he told me that he had spent a very long time reading and researching and interviewing and talking to people to try to understand same-sex attraction um, he had been a stake president a bishop he had tried to help so many people and so he had spent a lot of time trying to understand and he told me that he didn't know how people did it he said after everything i've researched after everything i understand about how lgbt people feel i honestly don't understand how they stay in the church. And I have so much respect for people that can. But if you told me right now that you need to walk on a plane, fly home and leave the church, you would have my 100% support because I understand. And hearing him say that was like a huge shock. I had no idea how to react. Um, And it sounds like the kind of thing that he would say that would make me be like, okay, I can leave the church. I can leave this all behind. But for some reason, him saying that made me decide to stay. And part of it might have been because I'm super stubborn. And so hearing him say that, that I could leave and he'd be like, no, I want to stay. I'm stronger than that. But I also think most of the reason why was because hearing him say that made me realize that there are people, there are leaders who can have that amount of compassion for me, that can understand how hard it is, and that can love me through it. That gave me hope that I was going to be able to find a way to stay. It gave me hope that there was going to be people out there who could help me. And so even though he, was, he wasn't he was telling me to leave the church, but he was telling me that it was going to be okay if I did, if that's what I needed to do to be safe, made me realize that I could be safe even if I didn't. So that was huge for me, was talking to my mission president.
0: I love that. And we've certainly done a lot of podcasts of gay men that have gone on missions and hoped that they would become home straight men. And we haven't done any podcasts with somebody with gender dysphoria that then left on a mission. And will you share with our listeners, was your gender dysphoria just the same? Were you more, did it, did it evolve or, and did you become more sure of just your identity as male? Did it change, I guess is what I'm, or was it pretty steady state?
1: Um, The dysphoria itself didn't change. My understanding of it did. My understanding of My role and my desire spiritually did, but the dysphoria itself stayed pretty steady. And it's kind of silly, I guess, to think about how I could do that, especially when as a missionary, you wear like a skirt or a dress almost every day. People call you sister, which can be really uncomfortable. But I think a huge blessing and tender mercy that made me laugh really hard on my first day in the MTC was that in French, the word for sister is sir, and I just love that, like people just call you sir. <laughs> like, this is perfect for people with gender dysphoria. That's awesome. Um, but at the yeah. time before leaving, I hadn't started to transition. I, I mean, I dressed in very masculine ways. I had short hair. I had all of those things, but I hadn't really transitioned. And it's hard to know what you're missing if you haven't had it yet. So going on my mission, I had already been wearing skirts all the time. I had already been doing all that stuff. So it was still really uncomfortable and still something that I didn't necessarily enjoy, but it wasn't as torturous as it would be, say, now after having transitioned for two years to have to go back and wear a skirt. Were, would be you, were you more resolved
0: me. to transition before your mission or after your mission? Or were we about the same?
1: Before going, I thought if I wasn't cured, I would have to leave the church. I mean, or in my life. Um, but then when I got home after my mission, which was really hard for me, It was a very, very hard time in my life. I can't say it was my best 15 months, but I was in too deep. Like my testimony was too strong. I knew too much. I couldn't back out. So coming home with that perspective now, like, okay, it's not an option for me to leave the church anymore. So now, and I'm not going to be cured. (laughs) So where does that leave me? Um, I have to find a way either to, it's kind of like the decision to be celibate or to be in a... Mixed orientation marriage or to pursue a same sex relationship. While some people can do that and still be active in the church, that's kind of how I was feeling. I thought it was very polarizing. I couldn't have all of these things at the same time. So when I came home, that's kind of where I was trying to figure it out. And it wasn't until a little bit later, probably six months later, that I realized, like, oh, I can have all of these things. I can be active in church. I can start the process of transition. Like, that's not a sin
0: <laughs> and i'm great so grateful you're sharing your story landon because it really helped me to hear gay men talk about serving missions and still coming home gay and i'm thinking if the lord were going to change sexual orientation He'd do it during the time you're giving everything to the lord and i think most latter-day saints have sort of recognized that you can't change sexual orientation and missionaries go on missions gay and come home gay um, but you're in such a new space not I mean, for us, it's not a, maybe a new space for you. We're trying to learn, and so I love just that you gave all this time to the Lord, being bringing people to Christ, um, consecrating everything, and you, your gender dysphoria didn't end. And so, to me, that's back. That's a testimony of the words your mom shared that I um, and what I read is that I just don't believe this is Satan confusing you. Um, and some people, there may be some short-term situations of exploration for LGBT for people that engage in some short-term exploration, but I don't think I think that's very different than what you're experiencing as you're as you're sharing. And so it just makes me want to do what your mission president did, and what your dad just said, and your mom, and other leaders. Um, talk about. I'm going to kind of go quick a little bit here because I want to keep us on schedule. We've got a little bit of an outline. <clears throat> just talk about, um, LDS family services and North star. Well,
1: when I came home, um, LDS family services offers like X amount of sessions for early returning missionaries. So we went to go talk about my mental health and the reasons why I came home early, but I definitely brought that up when I was first there. Like, this is not the reason, like, being trans doesn't make me have bipolar disorder, doesn't make me depressed, but it's definitely an underlying thing that raised my stress levels all the time. So it kind of elevated the issues I was already having. So we talked about it and my counselor was really great. It was kind of hard because I felt like I was educating her on things and then she would offer me advice rather than her already knowing what dysphoria was and kind of how to deal with that. So it was hard, but she was a really good listener and she had really awesome connections and she's the one that recommended north star the north star organization to us and pretty quickly after she recommended it like they were already selling i don't know if you call it tickets for the north star conference and so i don't want to say it was a win but it was pretty quick after we heard about it they were like okay let's go to this thing let's figure this out so we ended up at north star who went um i went with the first year just my mom okay yeah and i had never before that time i had never, ever talked to another person with gender dysphoria. I had never had a conversation. I had barely talked to any LGBT LDS people. So it was a whole different world. It was a lot of culture shock, but it was a really amazing experience that gave me hope that no matter what path I chose, I was going to be able to do it. It was going to be okay. And there were more paths than I expected there to be. I had a lot more options and I had a lot more support so
2: that was huge for me.
0: What did you tell us, Monica, about Northstar?
2: Northstar was a game changer for me. Um, when I first went, um, you know, we went to the opening um, social for new people and I was nervous because I didn't know what am I going to say to people? How am I going to talk to the, there's going to be lots of LGBT people. i that's scarcely so talked to any LGBT people in the past. And, um, especially, um, with the gender dysphoria, I didn't, I just didn't know what to expect. And right off the bat, when I got out of the car, I saw, um, uh, this woman and, um, it, she caught my eye because she looked like, a, a good friend of mine and even landed noticed at the same time. But as I, as I noticed her, I, I could tell that she was transgender, a transgender individual. And I have to, um, I'm ashamed to say this, but I, I watched from a distance. But I kept my my distance and my space. It's honest. Um, and I I was scared, and I didn't know that I didn't realize that until after I left the conference that I had really avoided meeting any of the transgender um, sisters that were there. I don't think there were any brothers that were there that year. Uh, I was I just didn't want that road. I didn't want to go down that road with Landon. I didn't want that um, for for Landon, and so I kind of avoided it. But I did watch and, and try to learn. But, um, when we were going down the elevator at the end of the conference, both of us were, I remember we were both just smiling and we felt so good. And what Northstar did for us is it gave us hope. Um, at the same time, I felt a rebuke from the Lord. I felt, um, a broken heart and a contrite spirit because, I sat shoulder to shoulder with hundreds of LGBT brothers and sisters, excuse me, who were striving to live the gospel the same way I was. And I wondered how I had contributed to making that difficult for them. And so I kind of began my journey at that point to start listening better and to Start understanding what our brothers and LGBT brothers and sisters are going through and trying to help create a space so that they can come to our congregations and feel loved and accepted. And that was kind of a, a huge eye opener for me. So we loved it.
0: I felt that same rebuke. <laughs> Thank you for being so honest. Um, talk about Landon, how North Star was for you. Did you meet any other transgender Latter-day Saints? And what was it like to meet other people kind of walking the same road?
1: I briefly met um, a handful of trans women, which was really cool for me to experience because I just had never been around that. I had never been to any LGBT event, much less experience with trans people than um, than with the other LGBT population. Um, but I think I was almost in the same boat as my mom, but I wasn't scared necessarily of transitioning. I was scared because I heard the horrible, terrifying stories of what those people had been through who had transitioned. And I, and not all of them were terrible, but sometimes the people who are most vocal about their experience are the ones who have had the most negative. It's like Yelp reviews, like nobody goes on there unless they had a really bad time. So, um, that definitely intimidated me and then it was also hard because there weren't other trans men there and there weren't people my age yeah it was all a lot of older women so I still felt pretty alone but much less alone than I had before and I felt comforted but also a lot less comforted but it opened my eyes it gave me options it gave me an education it gave me a lot to think about which led to the rest of my process
0: and I'm a real fan of North Star, like the Phillips are. They have their annual conference in March. It's early March. Um, if you're hearing this podcast and it's not March yet, you, and you want to check out North Star, it's in Salt Lake City, and you could find them on at North Star. I don't know exactly what their web address. There's so many North Stars. You'll have to probably put in North Star LDS, LGBTQ, and I think you'll get it. Um, and I love the role North Star is playing in this it's not an official church organization, but it's supportive of the doctrine of the church, and supportive of LGBTQ people in their journeys. And it's such a needed organization. Um, talk about um, coming out to siblings. You've got four of them.
1: Yeah, I don't think all of them. I don't think all of them were home when I came out. I think my older brother was off at BYU. But um, even when we went to North Star, I had known for a very long time. And even when we went to North Star, my siblings didn't know where we went because I was not sure if I was going to talk about it yet. And so I don't even know what we told them. We're just like, we're going to Utah for a random trip, Um, which is like pretty suspicious. But my sister already knew. My sister is my best friend. She had kind of been on that whole process with me, starting from me saying the super vague things, me not even realizing what I was talking about with gender all the way up to this time. So she knew, but my little brothers had no idea. So we had a little family night where we sat everybody down and I said, okay, I have some things to talk about. It's kind of a two-part conversation, but I just want to explain what gender dysphoria is. And so we talked about it, what it means, the definitions of things, and then I talked about my experience. And the biggest reason why I felt like I needed to tell them was one, because I love them and I want them to be a part of my experience. But then also I had heard them making more and more comments about LGBT people, And it made me so afraid that they were going to hurt people just because they had no idea what any of the things they were saying meant or how that would affect people. So we just talked about everything and it was a great conversation. They were really supportive and understanding. And then at the end, they were like, okay, let's go to bed now. And I was like, I said part two. Anyway, I like women. (laughs) So I sprung a second one on them, Um, but they were really chill about everything. And then, and my parents didn't feel like anything was a surprise because... They already knew everything. The surprise came when my little brothers went to bed and my sister was like, my turn. I like women too. (laughs) So we had a lot of, it was a good night for coming out. (laughs)
0: So there's two LGBTQ kids (laughs) in your home. And so I think these are great discussions to have. And I've always felt like, even though it's a, as a parent, you, you don't want to have an LGBTQ child at first and you, you would. Because it's just, I think the earlier children can come out, the better parents can support them. So, um, Monica,
2: I just wanted to add to that. Um, first of all, it was what I found was beautiful about the whole family night is Landon started by teaching the doctrine of the church before he went into um, sharing, and I thought um, that was great for my kids to to hear that coming from Landon and um, and hearing Landon's testimony. And then um, the thing I was most impressed about about that evening. Or the what happened right after, I guess, is that they just wrapped their arms around Landon at the end of the night. They changed. Did you go? Did you change pronouns right away? I can't remember no, now. No, no. As soon as Landon said, "I'd like you to uh, use he/him pronoun," they never looked back. They just supported Landon one hundred percent, and it was just really awesome to see that coming from my kids. I love that.
1: I think they were kind of excited about it. Like it was fun and a novel thing to change pronouns. So they hardly ever even messed up. They were, they were good, really good about it.
3: You know, what's interesting in that process is, um, as we were having the family night, our youngest son says, Oh, I've got a kid in my class that presents as a female, uh, my young friend. And, you know, there's conversations that can take place in the home, but I guess we'd never opened them up as close and as bonded as we were as a family. This was an amazing experience that suddenly there was a whole new level of conversation that could open up. But to my youngest son, this was not a thing. Um, it's just part of the world. And he understood it at, at a very benign level. Um, he was not passing judgment. He knew that he knew and left his friend. So for him to have, Uh, A new transgender brother, it it was very easy for him to accept. And it was a wonderful example to us as parents to see that. And you'll find as I talk that I'm passionate about as a culture that we open up conversations. Um, There's a certain percentage of people that feel same-sex attraction. There's a certain percentage of people that feel gender dysphoria. And those percentages don't change in or out of the church. But sometimes I think we withhold blessings from our families and from our congregations because uh, we harbor um, things that aren't necessarily true. We harbor fears that, as Monica mentioned earlier, where is are in this process. Sometimes I think those fears may actually be coming from a source that isn't bringing us closer to our Savior. So it was a wonderful blessing in the beginning of a new journey for our family.
0: Uh, talk about Landon coming out to leaders. I guess the first leader he came out to is your mission president, and yeah. <laughs> and part of your family stories, you've had good experience with leaders. So tell us more about coming out to leaders.
1: So after my mission president, I went and talked to my bishop of the young single adult ward, and I didn't really know him very well because I was new to the ward, um, but he. He one of the well he just listened. I asked like, "Do you know what gender dysphoria is?" And he was like, "I think so, but explain it to me." So we just talked through everything. He was an awesome listener. He asked good questions to understand what it was. And then it was really cool. He said like, "Oh yeah, my neighbor's son is transgender. I just went to their wedding." Um, which was really awesome to hear that he was so supportive. And I think weddings are a really hard thing for a lot of members because they don't want to condone or they don't want to support people's decisions. And so it was really cool to hear that he was just so open and loving. And I didn't end up being in that ward for a very long time. So I didn't go through a lot of counseling with him, but it was just a really cool, encouraging experience that there are people who can understand me and that my bishop was on my side. Um, and I think actually when I talked to him about that, it was because I was going in for a Temple Recommend interview. I needed to renew it. And so I wanted to talk about all that stuff first. And so he signed everything he needed to sign. And he's like, yeah, you're good to go. Let the stake president know and he'll make decisions. So I went, talked to the stake president, and we I didn't know how to bring it up. So we had the whole Temple Recommend interview. We got to the end where he asked the question, like, do you feel worthy to care you recommend? And I was so hesitant and I was like, yes, but there's things I think you need to know. And so he sat there and he listened to my story. He listened to me cry and babble on about it. Um, And when it was all done and he asked questions and he made sure I was okay. um, And we had talked about everything that we needed to talk about, He made sure I was seeing a counselor and everything. And then he was like, all right, well, have a good night. And he signed the recommend. <laughs> and so that was just so awesome for me. That's not what I was expect. That's what I was hoping for, but not what I was expecting. But it was really cool that those leaders were a lot more focused on testimony and love of the gospel and desires and actions like regarding to like keeping the basic commandments um, that they weren't so worried about all the extra stuff that they didn't understand yet, because to them that's not what was important. That's not what affects things. That was just an experience that I was having that they were hoping I was going to be safe through and they were going to support me through. But I had a really, really positive experience with them. And it probably helped that they had, well, not my bishop, but my stake president had known me my whole life. He was always involved when I was a youth and all of that. So he knew where I was coming from when I told him these things. And so he was really confident that I wasn't like seeking for attention or being rebellious or being deceived by satan or all those other things you've already talked about.
0: Why did you want a te- why did you want a temple recommend?
1: The temple had always been really important to me and a place that just felt like home and felt secure and before I left on my mission I did spend a lot of time working in the temple and so it meant a lot to me and it's something that I wanted to still experience and then I also wanted it to almost prove to myself that I was still worthy and valued in the eyes of God and to me having that was like a physical representation of my worthiness to him and that was something that I was so desperate to have and feel because at the time I was like feeling a lot of shame in who I was and shame in my desires and thinking about transition. And I wasn't sure if that was sinning, even though I didn't feel like it was. So having a temple recommend was almost proof that God loved me, even though that's not what it should be. And I should have been able to feel that without it. But at the time, it's something that I was really desperate for.
0: It's good. Great answer. And I love you being honest with your stake president and and your bishop. And I love that they saw your, your great heart and your desire to do the right thing. But talk about, Landon, just coming out more publicly. You've had these experiences with your leaders. You've got a Temple Recommend. Sounds like you've had good experiences. Talk about coming out publicly.
1: Up until pretty close to when I decided to come out, I wasn't sure what my path was going to look like. Even after North Star, I wasn't sure if I was going to transition ever or or if that was just something I was going to live with, but like, decide not to transition and to just, I don't want to say therapy it away. Cause I knew that wasn't going to happen, but like there are ways to cope and deal with it. There's lots of members who decide to take that path. So, um, and they're completely happy and fulfilled with that. So that's kind of what I was thinking, but I was still praying to know what to do because I really wanted to transition. Like that's really, really what I wanted, but I wasn't sure if it was the right thing to do. And so coming out publicly, um, would be my first step in that telling people like this is who I am Um, this is what my experience has been and when I decided to do that was when one of my good friends from high school was taking the missionary lessons at my house and she had texted me to reconnect and she said she wanted to meet with the missionaries but um, it wasn't a great environment at her house her parents weren't very supportive and so she was wondering if we could do it at my house And so we had her and the missionaries there all the time. And she was one of those golden investigators. She asked all the perfect questions. She had such a strong testimony right away of everything. And so our house was just filled with the Spirit all the time. And I had put a lot of distance between me and the church, partly because of all of this decision-making about transition, but then also because I was dealing with post-traumatic stress from my mission, and so a lot of things about church were triggering. And so I just kind of stepped back in my spiritual life, but not because like my testimony was damaged. It was just difficult. Things were going on. So having that spirit around all of the time was pretty suddenly very enlightening. And I felt like I knew what I needed to do and I was very comforted in that. And so I decided to come out. I wrote a letter. On And I posted it on a blog that I was expecting to keep up on, but that's still the only post on the blog. And then I shared a link to it on my Facebook page. I was like, guess what, everybody? And it was really quick. Like I wrote the letter and posted it that same day. But I was just really overwhelmed with the feeling that this is something I need to share and something I need to do, Um, which didn't come that whole time that I was distanced. And I thought that the more I distanced myself, the more logical I would be, the more I'd be able to think through things and research them. But it was as soon as I had the spirit back in my life that I was like, I know what I need to do and this feels right.
0: What was the response to that Facebook post and link to the blog?
1: Um, I had a lot of positive response. I didn't really have any outward negative response from anybody. I would hear some little whisperings from people in the YSA ward when I went back, but Not from people that mattered to me at all. So I didn't care. I was still pretty insecure. So it hurt a little bit. But all of the people that mattered to me, all of my extended family, my good friends, even people from my mission that I was connected to on Facebook, were all contacting me to let me know that they loved me and supported me, whatever path I decided, that they had my back. So I went from being pretty alone with a very small support network to having a huge support network of people. That supported me or would come out to me right after. Like had a lot of people reach out and be like, me too, or oh, I'm LGBT or I'm gay. And this is so awesome that there's more of us. So it was a pretty good experience.
0: Mom, any thoughts about this experience?
2: Yeah, there's a few things, a few times um during the last, you know, during this process that just stick with me that are very vivid in my mind still. And one of those moments was when Landon came out earlier in the day, Landon told me he was composing a Facebook post and a blog post. And I gently reminded him like, OK, don't post it yet, though, because we want to tell we have some extended family we would like to tell first before they find out publicly on Facebook. And so um, not too long later, Landon came out. Mom, I hit send and I just panicked. <laughs> what? You're supposed to wait. And, and then kind of Landon's eyes got wide, and, and thought, oh, shoot, I, <laughs> I was too excited. <laughs> I was excited to get that sent out. So I quickly, you know, texted my husband, please get a letter together for your family. And I quickly started in on something for my family. And, um, but in the meantime, just moments after hitting the send button, there was a knock on my door and I looked out and it's the sister missionaries and Landon's friend that they were teaching. And, um, and so they, they came in. So it was kind of this whirlwind of emotions at, at that moment. But I remember very vividly sitting in my kitchen at the Island probably just with my hands, you know, propping up my head, contemplating the aftermath of that post and what 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 was gonna be coming from that, what type of response was Lennon gonna get. And at the same time hearing Landon share and bear testimony in a missionary lesson of the plan of salvation and eternal families while her friend was in tears. And I just it was just this um Wow confirmation to me to be able to hear that testimony right at that moment of my panic, um, that I just received great comfort. And, um, you know, I just think probably through the grace of God, uh, tender mercy to just feel that peace in my heart that Landon has a testimony of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and that he does indeed have a testimony of, um, of the family and the plan and that he has a place in that plan. And I just, I'll I'll never forget that moment and the, just the mixed emotions that I had going on in my head.
0: What a beautiful complex moment. Any things you'd like to add at this point,
3: dad? I I think in my life I relate, I guess it was Enos that felt he was weak of word, but a little bit more mighty of pen. Um, So this announcement and my wife's panicked, challenge to write a letter to the family gave me an opportunity to to pull my thoughts together and get it out to our family and whether I'm journaling writing a talk or a lesson I tend to be instructed as I'm finger to keyboard pen to paper the spirit has a better opportunity to communicate with me because I slow down a little bit and for some reason I'm listening but as I wrote that letter At this point, I knew, okay, it's real now. Um, And you'd heard my story earlier that all denial aside, here we go. We're at the top of the roller coaster. Let's go. We're going to scream and have fun going down. But as I wrote that letter, the truth that was plainly manifest to me is no matter where this journey goes, there's no place that Lennon's going to go that we aren't going to be right there beside him. There's nothing that's going to happen that will change our love and our support. And I knew that the Savior felt the same way. And as Monica said, what a comforting spirit to go into this journey with. So to some extent, we could raise our hands and start to scream as the roller coaster fell. When We were going to enjoy the journey knowing that the Savior was with us.
0: I love that. And that's, I love where you just kind of turned it over to the Savior and say what we can control as parents is we're going to do the best we can to keep our family circled together and show love and support to the family. We're just going to kind of turn a lot of that over to the Savior of how that's all going to work out and how everybody's going to respond. I like your roller coaster analogy, James, kind of going up and this has been our kind of family private journey going up that roller coaster and I'm thinking of going up roller coasters and then you get to the top and then all the movement (laughs) happens all the it's and you can't kind of go back to the top of the roller coaster once you're going down so that's a pretty good um visual analogy um any more comments about talk uh, i'm going to talk about transitioning next anything else you want to talk about coming out or how to family respond or anything else in there okay um talk i'm transitioning for our listeners i and london can help us because he's the expert i've I sometimes talk about a social transition, a legal transition, and a medical transition, and those don't necessarily happen have to happen in that order, and they don't, and they overlap at times. But just t- is that okay to frame it up that way, Landon?
1: Yeah, yeah, that's and usually just, how I think about it. Also,
0: is it? And just talk us talk us through. It sounds like the social transition happened in the family circle that family night, um, with some of your family members taking on he and him pronouns. Is that a social transition, pronouns?
1: Yeah. So for me, I had already changed my way of physically presenting myself, the clothes that I wore, the way I had my hair. And I did that way before I even came out to myself. So that part of me had already, I guess, begun some sort of a transition. So the thing that really made the difference was name and pronouns. And I made that choice and kind of made that leap at a very convenient time because right after we moved to Arizona. So I got a nice fresh start with a freshly socially transitioned life. And so I was able to jump into um, making new friends, going into a new ward, um, getting a new job, going to school. I was able to do all of those things, just walking into them as Landon, as he, him pronouns. And I don't think I pass particularly well, but I guess other people do because most people don't really question it. Or they just think I'm really, really gay, but they don't like assume transgender. <laughs> so it or works th- out.
2: Or they think he's uh 15 years old.
1: Yeah. Most people think I'm really young because I still have very soft features. Um, so even at like work, I'm usually treated as everybody's kid brother. I'm like, you're four years younger than me. Stop. <laughs> Tell our but-
0: listeners how old you are.
1: I'm 22. Okay. Right? Yeah. <laughs>
0: and tell our listeners where you moved from. I, we've sort of hinted Orange County.
1: Yeah, we moved from Orange County in California to the Mesa, okay. Arizona area. So it was a little nerve wracking because there are so many members here. I was expecting it to be almost Utah culture-esque and a little bit more judgmental and hard because everyone's going to be a member. But everyone has been really chill. My YSA ward has been very supportive. I've only had like two or three people who have been vocal about their opinions. But once again, they're not people that matter to me at all. So I don't really care what they have to say. So I've just been supported. Church leaders here are as supportive as my old church leaders. They don't know me as well. So I've had to do a lot more educating and building trust with them. But it's just been a really awesome transition transition. I need to stop saying that because it means so many different things. It's been a nice switch to move to Arizona and begin that social transition and live the way I want to be living.
0: How did you choose the name Landon?
1: <laughs> so I sat my parents down like pretty early before I even decided if I was really going to transition, but when I wanted to. So I was talking about it a lot. And I asked, like, if I would have been born male, what would you have named me? Because most, I mean parents get to name their children. And so I thought it would be fair for me to give them the chance to still do that so that it could be something meaningful for them versus me like deciding my own identity and throwing away what they gave me. Um, and so she told me Aaron and I really did, I didn't like it. <laughs> so <laughs> I was like, okay, any other names? But it's still now I like it now. I'm like, oh, that would have been a good name. So then we had a couple more discussions where we would like okay, how do you like this name? How do you like this name? And we throw names around and they either didn't like the names or were like uncomfortable with the idea of me switching names. So it was hard emotionally to talk about. And so a long time ago, um, I really like to write and come up with stories and stuff like that. So a long time ago, like in middle school, I wrote a character whose name was Landon and I projected a lot of myself into that character. Um, So it was a name that I always liked and that stuck with me because it was kind of my vicarious way of existing and living. Um, So it stuck with me. And I said once, I was like, do you like the name Landon? And they were like, oh, yeah, that's okay. And I was like, okay, call me Landon. So, yeah, (laughs) it stuck.
0: I like the way you all kind of discuss this together and counseled together. That's kind of cool.
2: The the problem, Richard, is we didn't really know we were having a name changing conversation. <laughs> we yeah. thought it was a hypothetical conversation, and so that's when he asked me, "What do you think about the name Landon?" I thought, "Oh, that's it's a, a nice name." I didn't know that I was choosing the name at that point, but um, but we chuckle about that now. So it wasn't it wasn't right away that you asked us to change the name, but within I don't know I can't remember, but within a few days or maybe a week or so, um, he asked us to change the, the pronouns and and the name, or, or we were just going to test it out, weren't we? can we just try this at yeah. home? But then Landon is an expert at easing <laughs> me into things, which I'm really actually very grateful for because it, do, it does make things a little bit, a little bit easier for me. But are you done talking about that? Cause I can jump into my thoughts on it unless you need have what to say. Um,
1: oh, I just wanted to say briefly that this whole process felt so long to me. It felt so long. I felt like everything was taking forever and I, wasn't sure if I had the patience to deal with it. And it felt like I was taking years to make decisions and I just wanted to move on. I just wanted to transition and change my name. And it all happened over like just a couple months. This whole process of start like talking to a counselor, going to North star, making these decisions, meeting people, coming out, moving. It all happened back to back and looking back, it was so fast. But at the time I was desperate for things to change. And so it felt, really long. It's like a school day is only six hours. But when you have to go to school, it feels like the minutes are ticking by so slow. Um, And I know a lot of people feel that same way when they're just coming out or just starting to transition. It feels like it can't happen fast enough or you can't wait long enough for people to accept you or to learn. But I just I promise that looking back, it's so much faster than you think it is. Like things change so quickly and things get better a lot faster than it feels like they are.
2: Yeah, yeah, we can talk about stuff. Um, To me, it was going way too fast. (laughs) (laughs) But um, I just wanted to touch on um, a couple experiences. Um, One is the other moment that will is ingrained in my mind um, from this whole experience, and that is the first time we went to church with Landon as he presented as a male, and it happened to be Mother's Day, and that's why he was with us instead of at the YSA. And I'm really glad that it was Mother's Day. I, I. I think it may be another tender mercy because it gave me an opportunity to learn a lot that day. But I remember of course we were a little bit late getting to church and it was packed because it was mother's day and we sat at the the doors of the chapel and I looked in to see if our regular spot was open and there was, there was a spot right up front. We usually sat towards the front and our spot was there. Um, It was actually, I think it was maybe even the front row, but very far up close. And then there was some seats in the very back of the overflow And I looked at Landon and I said, I'm leaving it up to you. Do you want to go to the front or do you want to go to the back? And I think secretly I was hoping that he would say back because this was a hard day for all of us. And Landon said, mom, you guys sit up front. So that's where we should go. And I said, okay. And I just remember holding like consciously making an effort to just hold my head up high and make that walk to the front of the chapel with my family behind and that was probably the hardest walk (laughs) I've ever made because I knew all eyes were on us. And then I sat there and I was able to just put my arm around Landon as we enjoyed church as we normally do. And later thinking back on it, I thought I am so glad we did not sit in the back row because what kind of message would I have sent to everybody that I was ashamed of Landon? Um, And I'm so glad that I was able to walk proudly up there with Landon and um, just wanted to share that. Well, you brought
0: tears to my eyes.
2: The other thing is just um, with pronouns. Uh, I think that was probably the toughest for us, James, wasn't it? Uh, Yeah, that and name.
3: I alluded to the mourning process and part of that, there's a lot of things you feel as parents and you wish were perfect, but I'll let you continue talking about the ask for us to switch pronouns.
2: Yeah. I, I think at first he asked if we could try the name out. Um, that was really hard for me. Not because I didn't want to be supportive. Well, both of us, I'm speaking for both of us here. Not because we didn't want to be supportive when it loved Landon, but, but again, um, it was kind of the, the end of um, an era, I guess <laughs> uh, of having a daughter and the beginning of uh, having a, a, fourth son. And, um, and that, so that was difficult for us. And then the pronouns that was difficult as well. And I think, uh, I'm so grateful to Landon because, uh, I'm grateful for our relationship because he's been patient with us. Um, he's been very patient with, uh, helping us learn. And when he first came out publicly and during this whole process of transitioning, I Learned something about myself and that was that I needed to commu- I needed to talk things out in order to process and so I went to Lennon I said I this is what I need to do to process I need to talk about stuff and in the process I'm probably going to say things that are stupid and I'm probably going to say things that are hurtful and it's not intentional but I need I need to that's how I'm going to get move forward and so Lennon allowed me to do that and sometimes I saw his eyes roll at me and I said stupid things but at the same time sometimes mid-sentence I would learn what I was needed to learn and I could make a change. And, and it was, that was just my way of processing. I'm still I like that, but it was cool that I, I learned that about myself. And so talking for me is helpful, but just, uh, so once we kind of get got past like, okay, the name change in the pronouns, like pronouns just take a long time because even though we're fully supportive at this point, like our brains are old <laughs> and they just, you know, they're hardwired. Uh, you know, we used, different pronouns for so many years. And so um, we still messed up and you may have caught that in this interview a little bit, but, uh, Landon told me one time, uh, he said, I'll give you guys 10 years to get it right. And I said, if I'm still doing this in 10 years, you could just shoot me. <laughs> uh, I think we're doing really well after, after two years, but I still slip up a lot and it's not because I don't love Landon and support Landon. It's just cause my brain is.
3: And, and it's hard to talk historically And your brain remembers the context of the historical and and it's very hard to on the fly translate pronouns when it was a very different circumstance and i think on the interview you you heard me speak historically and drop a wrong wrong pronoun it's okay it in historical context it's right but it that's tough because it still hurts and you want to even when you talk historical you want to get the pronouns correct um i would just speak to parents there there are some realities of going through this as a parent um whether it's transgender or, or on any of the LGBTQ um, issues, I, as a parent went through and I remember feeling the, Oh gosh, what did I do wrong? And, and all these falsehoods that you realize after um, it's just the adversary's way of removing your own self-esteem and lowering your own worth and distancing you from the savior. And, no matter how well you know that tactic, it's still things that you experience. So for us to get through all the nonsense, um, we really had to rely on the Lord. We really had to turn to the Savior to get us through this. But those things still happen, and you still have to work your way through them. And so as you listeners may have an opportunity to go through this with someone you know, someone in your own family, somebody you minister to, as you extend your arms of love, um, just be be aware that some of these challenges that you experience, I I felt like I could only get through it with the tender mercy, through the grace of of our Heavenly Father, that I had to be changed. Um, As much as I wanted to do these things, I couldn't necessarily do all of them until He changed me. And luckily, the Lord is patient, and as He says in the Book of Mormon, He prepares a way. He prepares us. I look back at our parenting, and since our oldest was 14 years old, I see the preparation that's gone into getting us to where we could, with any amount of grace, um, go through this. I'm sorry for the word transition. <laughs> this change in our family. Um, I am very grateful for that. So as we continued down this this road making this journey, there it, it definitely has forced us to make sure that the Savior is walking that path with us in our family. And it's been a wonderful experience.
0: And it takes two to make this road work. So I think um, it's a credit to the parents, but it's a credit to you, Landon, and the grace and the, and the patience and you saying close to Heavenly Father and using the atonement and There are some LGBTQ people that are, and sometimes make it almost impossible, the parents to do what you're doing, what you're doing. And so I, you know, I hear stories where the parents I think are trying to do their best. And, and so I, I do think it takes both parties working really hard. And this is a story of both of you working hard and at times recognizing mistakes, but the fundamentals in the family of same goals and communication and you, you know, wanting to keep the family circle together. So I hope everybody, wherever you are, can look at this story of the Phillips and say, this gives me better tools to help keep the family circle together. Because I, th- I think that's one of Satan's greatest t- goals is to break the family circle. And I love the way that I, I think Satan wanted you to sit on the back row. Um, yeah. When you were talking about that, James, about the role of Satan and fear and shame, That's probably a practical application where fear and shame, which I think come from Satan, wanted you to be on the back row. Now you're at church anyway, so you're doing the right thing, and I don't want to make (laughs) anybody feel bad that's on the back row.
2: I was scared, for sure. But
0: I love what you did, and I love the message it sent to Landon, and I love your arm around Landon. I wish you could see, our listeners could see, the chemistry. Landon's sitting in the middle. He's got his mom on one side and his dad on the other side, and the physical interaction going on between... All three of them, it's just a beautiful, it's authentic, beautiful family love story. And, um, we've got some more things we could talk about. I would love to talk more about your transition. If, um, if you've done, if you want to talk about legal and medical, and if you also want to talk about how your leaders are now helping you now. Yeah. So that's kind of two different ways you could go at this point, Landon.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. So I did start medical transition. I started hormones about a year ago, um, but I have not been on them consistently that whole time. So if you want to start hormones by the time you're on it a year, your voice will be a lot deeper than mine is. Um, But I do my own injections and I just get tired of doing them. So I don't do them all the time. And then I also pass well enough at work and school that that eases my dysphoria enough that sometimes I just forget about it, but I do want to stay on them. Um, I'm also like relatively non-binary, like I'm a lot more okay with feminine Define bon- aspects.
0: Define non-binary f- for our listeners.
1: So non-binary it means different things to different. people. Yeah, I didn't people. say it right. So t- yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but it it means different things to different people. But it generally means not fitting in the male box or the female box. So the roles and the stereotypes and whatever, either gender, they don't fit in quite right. And some people that's um, where their dysphoria puts them is they're dysphoric as one gender, but they're also dysphoric if they swing too far to the other side. So they kind of reside somewhere in the middle or some people think of themselves as agender where they don't really sit on that spectrum at all. Um, And so I think I'm a lot more non-binary on the spectrum than a lot of trans men that I've met. I am more okay with feminine aspects of myself um, than some other people might be. Um, Everyone's dysphoria is different. Everyone needs to do different things to ease their dysphoria. So sometimes people say, have you transitioned fully or do you plan to fully transition? But there's not like an end goal that's the same for everyone. There's no such thing as fully transition because fully transitioning for somebody just means doing what it takes for them to ease their dysphoria. If everyone transitioned to the same degree... For most people, their dysphoria just turns the other way around and it's not eased. So, everyone has a different path. For me, that path has meant taking hormones, but not feeling super pressured to have quick physical changes um, because I'm okay with how things are going right now. Um, I do hope to have, um, uh, it's called, we call it top surgery, but a chest reduction surgery. And um, that just costs a lot of money that I don't have. And I also don't feel super urgent about that because I'm passing so well, which makes me kind of forget about my own body because other people aren't drawing attention to it and it's not drawing attention to itself. Um, but it is hard. I have been having some pretty severe back pain for the last two months from, I think it's from binding all the time. So those things are going to continue changing. There will continue being some medical transition. I don't have a hard plan for what's that, what that's going to look like. I'm just feeling it out, um, whatever feels right with my dysphoria and whatever feels right with the prayer that I'm doing and the answers that I'm getting, that's how I move forward. And deciding to start medical transition at all was rough because it felt like I knew once I started, I couldn't go back because certain things are irreversible. And then also I knew that once I got a taste of what it felt like, I wouldn't I would have no desire to be quote, female again. So that decision took me a long time. I sat on it for a very long time. I transitioned, but I was still really dysphoric. So I didn't participate in church or talk in church or do a lot of outside things with or meet new people because I was still really dysphoric. Um, But when I finally made that decision was when another good friend of mine was taking missionary lessons in my house. Um, I love the missionaries. They just bring the spirit in. I'm really bad at maintaining my spiritual health. And I have a really strong testimony. I've always been active in the church, but it's really easy for me to take steps back and let that relationship with heavenly father fade a little bit when I'm going through hard times. So having the missionaries there, having another like golden investigator, strong testimony. Now we're in Arizona. Yeah. This is in Arizona now. Somebody that I met. Just
0: keep moving from state to state. Yeah,
1: (laughs) I wish I need to go make new friends so I can have more missionaries in my house, but having that spirit again and having the opportunity to constantly be testifying in the lessons. And then she also, um, would stay at our house a lot because she lived a little far. And so to come to church, she would spend the night at our house. And so I just got so much opportunity to testify and talk with her and feeling that spirit again, opened the doors for me to receive the answers and to, to understand that it was okay for me to start hormones and that that's something that I needed to do. Um, so yeah, that's my medical transition. Um, it was a hard decision to make, but once I had the spirit backing me up and now that I've moved forward with it, I've gotten a lot of peace and confirmation that it's an okay path that I'm on. Legally, I haven't done anything. Um, I do have the forms that I'm in the middle of filling out for legal name change. And there's not really a good reason why I haven't done that, except for that I'm really lazy. And it doesn't really matter because usually the only people who see my name are my employers who already know about me. Everything else is under my preferred name. But starting at a new school, we have like you have to wear a name badge all the time that has your legal name on it we do lots of online discussions and they don't have an option for a preferred name. So that's a little dysphoria inducing. So I'm looking to change my name. Um, but again, I'm not super rushed with anything. I'm, just, I'm a really passive person. So I'm just kind of like, Oh yeah, whatever happens.
0: That was a beautiful segment. I, I learned some things that were very helpful for me and let me, um, as a transgender man, do you feel pressure from other transgender men to do this their, the way they're doing it? Because you aren't doing it exactly the way everybody's doing it. And I love the way you're saying, I don't need to do it exactly the way, you know, I, the goal is to end my dysphoria, not necessarily to go exactly where other people go. going. Is there pressure within the transgender community do to, to do this the same way or is there a feeling you do this the way that's right for you and we'll support
1: you? Um, I don't have very tight-knit relationships in the LGBT community. To know. Yeah. Um, so I don't get very much like direct contact with people. I just I've been I kind of over had like a little overswing when I came out because I went from having zero contact with the LGBT community to being super involved in everything. And I'm just kind of tired so- of it. Like I'm a little burned out and I don't need that anymore because I'm confident in myself. So I kind of step back so I don't have as many relationships, but I don't feel not supported. For the most part, I think trans people understand that transition is very complicated and there's a lot that goes into it. So most of the like opposition that I get is from people either outside the community or even allies or um, other letters of the LGBTQ who will hear that I'm the decisions i'm making with transition and are like oh so you're not really trans you're just a little trans no that hold up that doesn't feel very <laughs> no, good that's to how you. it works <laughs> yeah
0: so that's a it's interesting because i would probably put all transgender people in the same bucket and you've just helped me understand there's uh, every story is different and that's what i love about the podcast and your story is different than anybody i've ever heard landon and i mean and that's awesome and your parents, this is just a unique, beautiful story. But I love what you just said is to me, it's you're so attuned to you and the personal revelation you're receiving. You're doing this the way that's right for you. And you're not sort of responding to maybe other voices around you, other trans, other people within the LGBTQ spectrum. And so you're, and I just love that. You're saying, this is my journey and I'm at peace where I am right now. And I don't need to necessarily do this based on somebody else's expectation on me. And to me, it's a great sign of your spiritual and emotional maturity and a family support. Talk about passing. You've mentioned that a little bit, how important it is to pass. If someone's never heard that term, just explain passing.
1: But so passing is, um, being able to like when people meet you or interact with you, they see you as the gender that you're presenting yourself as, um, or, In a lot of cases, that means that they don't necessarily know that you're trans. So like when I go to school, um, people don't assume that I'm trans or know that I'm trans. They accept me as male unless I tell them otherwise. So for me, that's passing. Um, A lot of people don't like that term or agree that it's better to pass or to not pass because for some people in their transition or just because of the way their body is built or whatever it is, they don't like pass as well as other trans people. And that can be really hurtful when the trans community values passing so much. Um, So it's not a hugely important or necessary thing. But for me, it does ease my social dysphoria um, because I know that people are seeing me the way I want to be seen. Um, And so it's just something helpful to it makes me forget. Like being trans isn't a thing that I think about every day. It's not really a part of my life unless people ask or certain issues arise or there's a discussion about it. Otherwise the way people treat me and see me and the way that I'm living my life is just male. I don't, I don't know. I don't think about it. It feels really normal. So to me, that's what passing is is just being able to live and not have being trans be like a defining factor because people just see me how I am.
0: That's good. Any comments, mom or dad?
2: Um, I think, uh just some of the thoughts that were going through my mind while Landon was sharing is um, about uh, personal revelation and Landon growing up always, uh, always looked to the Lord for answers. Um, and so I, when he first started transitioning, um, I had thoughts like, oh, would heavenly father really answer your prayer in that way? Kind of like he mentioned a bishop saying like, go back and pray about that. Uh, and I learned that, um, I needed to trust Landon's personal revelation because I always had before and nothing had changed. So why would I question that now? And so, um, in this whole process of Landon transitioning, I have really, uh, supported all the decisions. And I found that even though people on the outside might look and be like, huh, I don't know, I don't think God would tell you to do that. I've seen Landon well, first of all, I got my kid back. Um, and I've seen Landon progress towards spiritual goals. Whereas when he was in dysphoria, he wasn't functioning. He was not making progress. He was stuck. And so I feel like through Landon's decisions, um, I've watched him draw closer to Christ and, uh, and we have had peace, uh, James and I so much peace. And so, that's our answer. And I've learned to understand that that's the way heavenly father speaks to me. And, um, and personal revelation uh, is just one of the principles that I've really come to understand during this whole process. And so, um, yeah, just wanted to share that. That's great. Um,
1: I thought before transitioning at the beginning of my process that transitioning was going to make it really hard to attend church or be at church because I was going to now be outside the box. I was going to be different. Um, I wasn't going to fit in. I was expecting that to make things really difficult. And I was prepared to go down that road and to fight it out and to figure it out. Um, but I figured out pretty quickly that the the relief that it caused to be like presenting as male and to be myself and to not be so distracted by the fact that I'm wearing a dress. I'm like, that was so overwhelming when I was presenting as female. That I was at so much more peace presenting as male. Um, and then it also meant a lot to me um, and made things a lot easier because going to church when I had wasn't sure if I was going to transition almost made me bitter because I was suffering. I was having a hard time. And I just kept thinking, I'm giving this up for the gospel. And not that I was blaming, like blaming the church or blaming God and saying, you're making me suffer. But I was very aware that I was going through something very hard and I was suffering. And it was because of the gospel. I was giving that up for the gospel. And so that made it really hard to love the gospel all the time. Um, Whereas now being at church I feel so comfortable. I feel so good. I don't feel like I'm making any more sacrifices than one normally sacrifices for church. And so it makes it so easy to love the gospel and easy to love the savior and easy to feel that relief because I can feel his support versus feeling like I was suppressing everything in the name of the gospel. Now I feel like I'm living my best life in the name of the gospel.
0: Are you going to elders quorum? Yeah, I am. How does that feel to you?
1: It's, Great. It's awesome that I've been like fully welcomed with open arms from leaders and the elders quorum leadership and just other brothers who are in there. Sometimes it's hard because my masculinity is easily threatened by being around the boys, um, especially since they're all my same age and they're all a lot more masculine than I am and how I seem so young and people see me as younger because I'm not as testosterone filled. Um, So sometimes that can be hard and makes me realize how different I am, but it is really awesome to be included in a group that I always thought I would be shut out from. So it's hard, but it's also really amazing.
0: And talk about, introduce Hayden to our listeners.
1: So Hayden is my fiancé and, oh, sorry. So Hayden's my fiancé. We've been engaged for not that long since the beginning of November. Um, But we've been dating for about a year and we've been really close friends ever since I moved here. Um, He is also a member of the LGBT community. Um, He identifies as bisexual. I hope he doesn't mind me saying all this. Um, (laughs) He's pretty open, So, but he identifies as bisexual and so... Um, he's just very aware and his like gaydar was very strong. So when he first met me, he would like, he was like, he's gay, like something's up. Um, and when my brother and sister left for school at BYUI and I was left alone in the ward, he texted me and he was like, if you need a person to sit next to an elders quorum, you have me, I'll be there with you. So he was just a really awesome support. we became very good friends. Um, and then we were just, better and better friends as it went on and then eventually we were like are we dating (laughs) is that what's happening um so yeah that's what it turned into and it is a really unique relationship because I did talk earlier about my attraction to women and my lack of attraction to men and that has been a little fluid for me as I've transitioned because a lot of the reason why it was I had like an aversion to being with men was because I was so threatened by it. Like I didn't like being the girl in the relationship. And so that made me hate dating and being with guys. And so having somebody who sees me as male or sees me for who I am and doesn't treat me any different makes it a lot easier to be in a relationship and to experience that attraction. Um, And I don't really have words for my sexuality. I don't get it. And I don't really care to get it. Um, I just know that I'm very in love with Hayden. I'm really excited to spend the rest of my life with him. And it's a unique a relationship. Member? Yeah, he is. He's yeah, a and he's also I guess you active. said
0: you said met him at elders quorum.
1: Yeah, so we're both active. We're the token gay couple of the ward. Um, And again, like how the ward was really supportive of me and really casual about everything, they've been the same way about our relationship and announcing our engagement. And we're not, we really don't want to, Come across like we're trying to make a statement or be like, you need to treat us this way because we're gay and you need to be Christ like. Like, we don't want it to come across as bitter or, I don't know, a statement or some sort of a rebellion. So, we're not super like PDA or like great shows of affection, but we are like, we're not, we don't try to hide anything either. Um so p- some people have been uncomfortable or confused but now everyone gets it and everyone's happy for us. So it's been a really unique experience trying to navigate things with both of our sexuality and experience and then my gender identity and expression. Um so I've like tried to break up with him a lot of times <laughs> because I was like I can't do this like this has to be so hard for you to deal with all of my stuff that I'm dealing with like that's so unfair. But he's been so patient and supportive and willing to work with me through my discovery of myself and my transition and my struggles with dysphoria. He's just been right by my side. So I really thought when I came out, I thought like, I'm going to die alone. And I kind of made peace with that. Like, no one's ever going to love me. I'm trans. Like, that's too hard. It's not going to happen. So it's still very surreal to be in a relationship that I didn't have any hope for. But yeah, it's great.
0: Any more comments? We're kind of coming to the end. Um, just any more comments anybody'd like to share with our listeners?
2: Um, as a closing, or sure. Okay. Um. First of all, we love Hayden, <laughs> and we're really happy for them. I I did worry um, that maybe Landon was going down this path to possibly make us happy, or. And so I, I remember asking Landon, are you doing this? Because that's what you expect. That's what we expect. Or... And, and he assured me that that, that wasn't the case, that he, that he really loved Hayden. And we love him too. Um, I think just in closing, uh, if I can impart anything to, um, to parents and leaders or individuals who are experiencing gender dysphoria, um, I hope that this uh, can bring hope to families. I would encourage parents. I I minister uh, to a pretty good handful of parents who are experiencing um, these same things. Um, And I I just would share with them to just really listen to your kids. And they're coming to you because they, they love you and they need support and they don't know where else to go. And if they're not finding that support in their families, they will gravitate to anywhere where they will find that acceptance and support. And typically that's going to be, um, an, an online community or an unsafe community. And so I just really encourage, um, it's been wonderful for us, like you said, to have the communication lines of communication open. And we've been able to navigate this, whether or not, um, you know, Landon stayed in the church, like that's something obviously that we had to consider as well, but just being able to talk and and share and listen. Um, we've been able to really uh, be able to navigate that. So I would encourage that. and then. also for leaders and general membership of the church to just listen and learn from these members. Um, let us make that place of acceptance. Let that be in our homes and in our congregations. Let's not nudge out so that they have to go find that acceptance somewhere else. The gospel of Jesus Christ is for everybody. And you know, this is gender dysphoria is just something that, uh, is a thing here (laughs) and, and that we experience just like any other challenge in life. And um, we need to be navigating that in the gospel of Jesus Christ.
0: James, do you have any final comments?
3: I hate to repeat what Monica said, but it strikes she's me. She's pretty
0: profound. Yeah, she's, you she both says are. it well.
3: Um, it, it just ties back to the name of your podcast. Um, if we are as little children, we'll inherit the kingdom of God. And they know how to listen. They know how to learn. They know how to love. And I think that's our obligation as parents, as leaders, as brothers and sisters in the kingdom. It's our obligation to set aside judgment and just listen, just know how to learn from our brothers and sisters, and then know how to appreciate and love their strengths, their talents, and everything they can bring to building the body of this church.
0: Um, Landon, any closing
1: thoughts? There's so much that I could say. <laughs> There's so many people that I wish I could help. And I don't know exactly what the audience of your podcast is, but I think when I was just starting to come out, when I was trying to figure myself out, when I was looking for resources, this is exactly the kind of thing that I would go to to try to find hope. So I guess I'd like to say for any trans people, new little trans babies trying to figure yourselves out or people who are in the process of transition or people who have decided not to transition and are trying to navigate their way through the church I just want to promise that it's going to be okay like it really is and I've been dang it I wasn't gonna cry we all said we weren't gonna cry I felt like I was winning last man standing but here I am um but the, I've been through so many dark times. We've been trying to talk about all the positives because that's what we want to get across. But there have been a lot of really hard times when I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to make it. Like I said earlier, before leaving on my mission, I thought I had three options, and one of them was ending my so life. Sad. And that's something that didn't necessarily go away when I got home. It stayed an option. Um, so there are definitely such hard times, and there were things I'd never thought I would have. I never thought I could transition And if I did, I never thought I could stay in the church. I never thought I'd be able to feel Heavenly Father's love again. I never thought I'd have anybody's support. I definitely never thought I'd fall in love or be able to be married. And right now we're working toward being sealed. And that's something I never thought I'd have. But even though that whole process, I didn't know what it was going to look like. I didn't know how it was going to work out. I didn't know what was going to happen or what direction I was going. All I could do Was trust that Heavenly Father knew what I was going through and that His work and His glory is the happiness and the eternal life of men. I knew that He wanted me to be happy. So all I could do was trust that. And I've had every single blessing that I thought I knew I would never have. So that looks different for everybody. I don't want to make any promises for what's going to happen. Everyone's journey is different but I can promise that it's going to be okay. Just keep going, keep trusting, keep finding support. Things feel like they're taking forever, but I promise it's not actually taking that long. It's gonna be okay. And that's, I think, of everything when I talk and when I share, that's what I wanna get across the most um, to my trans families. Like, it's really okay.
0: Thank you, Phillips family. Um. Just one closing thought. My wife and I watched the movie at Harriet about Harriet Tubman and and her heroic work. And I sometimes put myself back in Harriet Tubman's day as the and wonder which side I'd be on. And then I think, you know, I then we're faced with issues of today like how are we going to treat transgender people and The impression came to my mind that I will walk out of a movie someday with tears in my eyes after hearing stories of transgender people. And that's kind of happened in this podcast. And I think we can be, we sometimes historically want to look back and say we would have been on the right side. And I'm trying to be mature enough to know, I don't know with the knowledge of that day if I'd been on the right side. And so I think what you're helping us is to make sure we always choose love. We always choose to listen. We always choose to keep the family circle, and then we're going to be okay. And so, um, you're a hero for me, Landon, and for many others. For the you know, the road you're walking, the very unique road you're walking, but walking it in a wonderful, authentic, spiritually based way. And thank you, uh, Monica, James, and Landon Phillips, for being on another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler.
2: Thank you for having us, Richard. Thank you. Thank you.